You're listening to Soundside. I'm Libby Denkman. Washington just became the fifth state in the nation to issue guidelines for how artificial intelligence technology should be used in the classroom. AI software usually makes headlines for how it could help students gasp, cheat. But State Superintendent of Public Instruction Chris Reichdahl says that while those stories get a lot of attention, the reality is more nuanced. There are numerous potential educational benefits to AI technology, and yes, its advance is inevitable and unrelenting. Reichdahl says banning AI in the classroom outright is just not an option. The idea of stopping it or slowing it down or having a fear-based approach to it is really just um, unproductive. The new guidance was published by the state superintendent's office last week. It highlights a human-centered approach to using AI and encourages teachers to help students build AI literacy. It also puts the focus on how AI can augment creativity and critical thinking instead of replacing it. I want you to go start with three to five page essays uh, that are done in seconds, but then changing classroom time so that students then have to demonstrate they really understand what was produced, why it was produced, how they'd shape it and change it. So far, there's no suggested curriculum, but the state's guidelines are the start of a conversation about how districts should approach complicated concepts like large language models. And Reichdahl says that Washington teachers will need more support to teach AI in classrooms. He plans to ask the legislature for more professional development funds for school employees. We will ask them to be very intentional about adding professional learning dollars to our system with a technology focus. Not all AI, but what's not out there is a dedicated commitment to the growth of educators around technology. At this point, Superintendent Rakedahl says opinions in the state are all over the map, from educators and districts who are highly AI skeptical to those who are embracing it. Last year, Walla Walla Public Schools blocked access to ChatGPT over privacy and cheating concerns. The district later walked that policy back. A similar story played out at Seattle Public Schools. State Superintendent of Public Instruction Chris Rakedahl says the consequences of not planning for AI's growth, both inside and outside schools, could be dire. He points to schools' lack of attention to social media over a decade ago and connects that negligence to widespread misinformation today. We didn't immediately bring this into our classrooms as a way to teach kids the downside risks and the positives to it. And I think that's the learning lesson. That's why we've gotten so aggressive with our AI guidance is to say, it is here, so let's spend more time very intentionally teaching kids the strengths and weaknesses of it instead of assuming that it's this um, thing that's going to happen in their private lives and not impact the classroom. We'd love to hear your thoughts on AI's role in the classroom, especially if you're an educator, a parent, or somebody who works with this technology. Leave us a voicemail at 206-221-3213. That's 206-221-3213 to weigh in or email us at soundside at kuow.org. Now, many Washington schools did not wait for state guidance to start thinking about AI and training staff on its uses. In the Muckleteo School District, instructional technology specialist Amy Parker regularly holds what she calls tech club. It's like book club, but it's tech, and you have to say that whole thing the whole time. (laughs) At these meetings, teachers try out a tool and then they meet to discuss it. It's just one of the ways she's helping teachers learn about and engage with the proliferation of AI tools. Amy Parker with Muggleteo Schools joins me now. Hi, Amy. Welcome to the show. Thanks for the invitation. I, I look forward to talking about AI with you. 
You started teaching in 1996, and technology has, of course, changed a ton since then. Maybe in the 90s, you were concerned about kids using Microsoft Encarta too much on their papers or spending too much time on, you know, the Oregon Trail game. Since then, there's been this huge proliferation of computers, smartphones, all types of technology in the classroom, not to mention social media. How big of a deal is AI in comparison to other waves of technological innovation that teachers and educators have had to grapple with over the years? I think it's a huge change. And I think that we are only beginning to kind of understand exactly how it's going to change the way that students produce content, the way that they evaluate what the AI puts out. I mean, there's a lot that we need to understand and kind of shift the way that we're teaching and what we're asking of students in order to be able to accommodate this new tool. I mean, you have AI hallucinations. How do you teach a young child who's like, oh, I can put in this prompt and I can get a whole paper to understand that half of what came back to them is is made up and not true. I'm so glad you brought that up because it's something that adults are struggling with and professionals in the workplace are struggling with. And I think to try to explain to a child who is used to seeing things printed or published, typically that have been vetted, that something that's coming across their screen might be made up by the computer <laughs> or by the algorithm that's, you know, trying to complete a, a thought using a large language model. That's a high level concept that's really difficult to impart. So I want to get to more of that and, and how we teach kids about that in a second. First off, what kinds of things have you been seeing so far with generative AI in Mukilteo schools? Has there been anything that has surprised you? Any effects that you can share that you've noticed? In my role, I get a lot of questions about technology. My job is to support our teachers with their classroom technology. So I get questions by email or during our drop-in office hours. And what first came out about AI was a lot of fear. There was the, oh my gosh, Amy, have you seen this? It can generate code from a teacher that is teaching kids how to code. And then our English department, have you seen this tool, this AI thing? It writes whole essays. So a lot of fear and a lot of concern from teachers that they were not going to get a real honest assessment of what their students had learned in their, in their classes anymore. So that was kind of our starting spot. And when we came back this fall, my colleague Mike and I, we went to a lot of different conferences or sessions or just meetings about AI, and we started to understand more about it. So we learned what a large language model was and where the AI was getting the knowledge that it's using to generate all this content back. And then we started seeing the teacher tools that are available. The door that we've cracked open with our staff is offering them PD on teacher tools, things that are going to save them time and allow them to focus in on developing content and lesson plans for their students instead of some of the other more administrative tasks that AI can really help them do instead of spending their time there. So that's what you've been talking to teachers about. What in turn are they having conversations with their students about? 
I mean, is there already worked into the lesson plan uh, AI unit? Or is that something that they've sort of had to be working on talking about in every subject that they tackle? I don't think we have a cohesive plan of attack on that yet, for lack of a better phrase. I think you have some teachers who are embracing the use of AI. And what we've been telling them is, if you're going to use this in class, you need to, like any other tech tool, sit down with your class and say, this is the tool. These are the expectations. You can use it here in this way, but not here in this way. And just make it very clear for students what they can and can't do. And so you have some teachers who are doing that. You also have teachers who are just do not use AI in my classroom. When we have that, then we're also trying to educate them on the fact that there are companies who are advertising their AI detection tools. And when I started doing research on those AI detection tools, because that was one of the first things teachers were asking me for is give me something to find out if they're using AI. What I found is that those tools are fallible. I put in an article that I'd written in our weekly tech email, and it told me it was 67% AI generated. Oh, no. How did you feel about that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was a little irritated. And then I put put the same topics into ChatGPT. I asked it to give me an article. And when I put that into the AI detector, it said it was 2% AI generated. So looking at that and then looking at some research that shows that AI detection tools have a bias against our students who are not speaking English as their first language, we're really recommending that teachers not depend on AI detection tools, that you still need to do what you used to do. You watch students throughout the writing process, you confer with them, you learn their styles. And if there's a huge difference all of a sudden, Then you have a conversation about, okay, so what made this difference? Did you go see a tutor? Did you get some advice from a friend? Did you have a peer edit? Or did you have AI generate this for? So there's a room there still for traditional face-to-face conferencing and not just using an AI tool to try and figure it out. The State Office of Public Instruction just issued guidance around AI. And in it, the office stresses a human-centered approach, basically encouraging students to think critically about and be aware of what AI is doing and where it could come up short. What are your initial thoughts on the guidance? I actually think it's a great starting spot. I was pleasantly surprised to see that there were many things that we're doing that really align with what the guidance says we should be doing. That human-centered approach to me is right along the lines with that 80-20 rule that we've been talking to teachers about. So when you use AI and you get content back, 80% of it is likely to be pretty good stuff. But you might need to edit or revise or totally throw out 20% of that because it may not fit your purpose or it may not be entirely what you were looking for or maybe it's an AI hallucination. So the idea that you start with your own thoughts and ideas and curiosities, then you use a tool to help you either brainstorm, generate, refine, 
but then you come back to it with your own human knowledge and critical thinking and refine that and make it your product. That feels like a good framework for helping students understand an ethical usage of AI. Yeah, I think it comes back to what we talked about earlier in the conversation, though. How do you empower students to understand what is being produced by a generative AI algorithm? We definitely don't know all that's been scraped into a large language model. It's too vast. Of course, they give answers that are made up, hallucinations. They can even fabricate citations. There have been whole authors and journalists that are just kind of thrown into an answer from a generative AI model. I mean, how do you tackle that with both teachers and students? It's hard for, again, people who are in the workplace, adults, to deal with. I think we just need to continue to teach good content to our students from an early age so that they have that background knowledge to approach what an AI model might generate. I mean, we've been dealing with this with Wikipedia for how long? Students want to cite Wikipedia as the first thing that they've looked up and found the answer on, and that could be made up by other people anywhere in the world. So it's not unlike that. It's not unlike adults trying to discern which ad was played, was the most truthful. I don't know that I have a full answer for you on that one, but teaching kids to evaluate a source, to think critically about what they already know and what it's saying and what may not sound right is just going to be that much more important going forward. And let's talk too about the incredible opportunities here and the potential upsides. I mean, as a research tool, this can be a really powerful thing as a tool to augment creativity. It can be really powerful, but that's that word is important, I think, augmenting, not replacing. You know, how do you make it so that this is a tool that centers the child's own creative process and empowers them rather than is something that they lean on in the place of critical thinking? And I, you know, I have beginning ideas for how we can use that with students. One of the things that I've been thinking about is the uh, AI image generators. So when I was teaching first grade or second grade and I was having kids learning to write and I was always trying to get them to use more descriptive language, really describe what you're seeing in this sentence. And it's hard when you're first learning to write. Well, what if I had my kids write a sentence? It's supposed to be descriptive. I go in to an AI image generator and they plug it in and they see, was there enough description there to create that picture? Well, they'll get an image back and immediately they're going to say, oh, that doesn't match. So what's your first inclination? I'm going to revise my sentence. Now I'm going to make it work. And you put it in again. So it can be something that can really help kids learn to be a little bit more creative and descriptive if you use it in the right way. And specific, which my writing teacher in high school used to say is terrific. Of course, Amy, there is an equity issue here. We've touched on this a little bit. There are issues within the algorithm itself, what the large language model is serving because it upholds existing biases in our society. And then there's also the access issue. You know, wealthier students have access to a paid subscription to a, a chat GPT or what have you. 
whereas economically disadvantaged students do not. How are you looking at this from an equity lens, too, when you're implementing AI guidance and AI curriculum for students and teachers? Well, we don't yet have AI curriculum for students and teachers. And our guidance in our district right now, we're looking at it as another academic tool. So the um, the guidelines that you might find that apply would just be our general academic dishonesty guidelines. We don't have something else that applies there. Equity issues, the, the one thing that, when I read the OSBI guidelines, the thing that made me happiest was that we didn't have a knee-jerk reaction to just not have AI. Turn it all off, like the initial reaction out of um, New York, I think it was, where they said no AI used in our schools. Because I think that in itself is a big equity issue. I have kids. My son just graduated high school last year, and he's off to college. And I'm looking at my younger son and what they need to do in the next few years, applying to colleges, applying to jobs, applying for internships. And the people that are also applying who are using AI tools to help them practice for an interview, practice writing something that will work. If our students don't know how to use those tools, they are going to be behind kids who have been taught how to use the AI tools. So I think as educators, it really falls upon us to make sure that our kids have the skills going forward to compete with everybody else who's already learned how to use them. And I don't know that we have all the answers yet. I don't I don't think we will because this AI idea is growing and changing. Every time I turn around, there's something new. So I don't feel like I know everything yet. I'm still learning. Yeah, but I really appreciate you walking me through your process in learning and trying to adjust to these new realities. I think the other thing I really like about what you've been saying here today is we're getting beyond just the fear reaction, which I think is an understandable reaction initially to say, oh my gosh, all the kids are going to cheat. And that's like the main topic that we're discussing, like discussing the promise of this stuff and how to realistically adapt it into the classroom and also all the potential and the ways that you need to equip kids to adjust to this in the real world. Like, it's just great. And I love that we're able to have this conversation, Amy. Thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. Amy Parker is an instructional technology specialist at Muckleteo School District. And we'd love again to hear your thoughts and experiences with AI in schools, especially if you're a teacher integrating it into your lesson plans or a parent talking to your kids about how to use tools like ChatGPT or a technology professional that works with this stuff and has a perspective on how it should be implemented in schools. Leave us a voicemail at 206-221-3213. Again, 206-221-3213. Or email us at soundside at kuow.org. Thanks for listening to Soundside. This show is only possible because listeners support us. If you're able to give right now, please check out the show notes for a link to donate. And don't forget, you can listen live on KUOW 94.9 FM Seattle at noon and 8 p.m., Monday through Thursday, or anytime online at kuow.org.